Counselors, approach the bench. I have no further witnesses, Your Honor. Curiosity, I'm allowing this freak show to continue. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. Overruled. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Oh, hey. Welcome to Movie Mistrot. The podcast where we examine the IMDb Top 250 and argue for or against the movies being on that list. My name is Raji. And I am Johannes. Today we're talking about the number four film on that list. The superhero caper, The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight was released on July 18, 2008, and it stars Christian Bell and the late Heath Ledger. With an IMDb rating of 9.0 out of 10. Before we do that though, like, how's your week? It's been quite interesting. Um, the Euros are going on, and um, it's been fun to watch some of the games. Currently in a pool with a bunch of friends, and I'm basically going to be losing a lot of money, the way things are going. But it's been fun watching Denmark bounce back during the games, um, because they just won this uh, this morning against Wales, and they beat their, one of their, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but one of their players had a heart attack in the in their first game. And he was dead for a few minutes uh, before they brought him back to life. Um, and the team has gone on to the quarterfinals now uh, without him playing. Um, it's good to see that kind of resilience from a team. But, you know, this is what soccer kind of gives, right. gives you a story. Yeah. How's your week? Um, n- not soccer related. I <laughs> <laughs> um, watched a bunch of movies this week. Um, finished a couple of shows. In general, like finally got through Alone season five, I think. I don't know really? if you've ever heard of that show. It's I like, haven't. What is it about? Uh, it's like a survival reality kind of show where they have 10 people that they drop. Like the last season we watched was uh, Mongolia. And they Interesting. Have to survive, and then like whoever makes it the longest wins 500K, I think. That's, that's quite interesting. It's, Talking about... Um... Yeah. Go on. No, no, no. It, it, it's interesting, but it's also kind of weird because it's just like, yeah, these people that are alone, right? And they film themselves <laughs> and all that. So it's just kind of bizarre I mean, people. I th- isn't that the uh, the best part of uh, of watching <laughs> of watching uh, reality TV shows to see weird people do weird stuff? Yes, yes. <laughs> also started season two of Too Hot to Handle. <laughs> Speaking oh, of yeah. weird people. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I actually watched a couple of episodes of that. I, I've never seen the show. I'd never heard about it, but my, my sister got me to watch a couple of episodes. And I, by the end of the fourth episode, I was actually going, I want to see what happens next. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's how reality shows draw you in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's just like 20 year olds being 20 year olds. To the, to, to, to the extreme. Yeah. Strangely enjoyable, I think. So should we transition to movies? Yes, we should. All right, let's do that. Yeah, let's figure out who's going to be on which side today. Okay. What's it going to be, heads or tails? I will always go with head. <laughs> Tail. I got, oh. to, I got to choose today. All right. So which one do you want? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to argue for the movie. You're going to argue for the movie? Yeah. All right, cool. I, I'm going to argue against the movie then. Do you feel comfortable about uh, arguing for the movie? Yeah, as comfortable as I can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. We'll, we'll get into it, but, you know, kind of torn. Before we do anything, uh, let's, let's hear a little synopsis. 
Set within the year after the events of Batman Begins, Batman, Christian Bale, Lieutenant James Gordon, Gary Oldman, and the new district attorney Harvey Dent, Aaron Eckhart, successfully begin to round up the criminals that plague Gotham City until a mysterious and sadistic criminal mastermind known only as the Joker, Heath Ledger, appears in Gotham, creating a new wave of chaos. Batman's struggle against the Joker becomes deeply personal, forcing him to confront everything he believes and improve his technology to stop him before he destroys Gotham City and its citizens. The witness will address this court as judge or your honor. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be the judge. Today I'm going to be speaking against the movie The Dark Knight. A movie that had the potential to be better than the sum of its parts, but failed to achieve that because of cliche writing, incoherent editing, and job cuts that failed the plot. We watch as incredible acting, music, and performances were let down by visual incoherence, tilted lines of dialogue, and set piece, which seemed incredible on the surface, but the moment you think about it, you wonder, how could that have made it out of edit? Dear Judge, uh, I, I speak on behalf of this movie. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that this movie is, uh, has created uh, an, an iconic portrayal of the Batman franchise. And the the heavy lifting, obviously, in this movie is done by uh, Heath Ledger as the Joker, but all the supporting cast is excellent in what they do. Uh, I admire the movie for uh, its sense of realness and uh, use of real locations and uh, portraying a, a gigantic scope. And I admire the movie uh, for the music that is being used and was created for this movie and if i sense it's it's been a genre defining as well and i admire the movie for telling us a story of chaos but a, a chaos that at the end of the day is very controlled i think it's one of the the greatest movies and it very deserves to be on this list I probably should start with my conversation about some of the conversations that were had in this movie. It was interesting to listen to some of the characters as they did monologues of themselves, just staring into the sky, speaking out into the world. Um, one example was at the very end of the film where Commissioner Gordon was talking about how the White Knight had been killed and now the world needs... Uh, the Dark Knight to take his place. And it's not the hero uh, we need, but the hero we deserve. And one of those scenarios, it just felt fake. It felt like somebody standing on a, on a board, just speaking to the crowd, trying to be, you know, the hero character in some way. I, do not, I did not enjoy some of the conversations that were had in this film. I'll give you another example. When the character playing Two-Face opens the door after Commissioner Gordon rescues him, he said, it seems like you've been playing this very close to your chest. It seems like you've told me, just as you told me, you've been playing this very close to your chest. And the, the problem with that line was that Commissioner Gordon never told him that he was playing it close to his chest. It was a conversation that Bruce Wayne was having with Lucius Fox in the room where he was asking him about CIA tools and he says, uh, what are you going to use it for? I'm playing this very close to my chest. It seems like a lot of those scenarios 
maybe this conversation happened off screen, but the idea that the user or the listener or the watcher, uh, like myself, has to imagine that this occurred, they didn't show us, they just told us. There's a lot of very, very, very bad dialogue that happened in this film. Outside of Heath Ledger's character, it all seemed very cliche. The moment that you reference is in, in reference to the, the surveillance uh, tech that Bruce Wayne is funding. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, uh, just understanding where they are. They're in Wayne, like in some office building, Wayne Enterprises, uh, kind of a public place. I think it's fair to be, you know, you don't need to know this. <laughs> And Ed, Bruce Wayne is still the boss of, of uh, Lucius, so I, I think it's it's perfectly fair for that character to be like, well, I'm not going to tell you. Like, you don't need to know anything. He ends up telling him. He probably knew that there's going to be a lot of resistance uh, due to the subject matter of that project, and, and there was. So I think faulting the film for that kind of dialogue is, is a little uh, abrasive. But you have to... I don't mind him telling his, uh, you know, his you know, the is subordinate in a way that, uh, you know, that statement, I don't have, I don't have a problem with him saying that, um, it, I'm playing it close to the chest, but the, the issue I have is that Harvey Dent turned to Commissioner Gordon and said, you told me that you were playing it very close to your chest after everybody had realized that Commissioner Gordon was dead. Um, this is a conversation that did not occur at all in the film. Uh, but for some reason, um, it, we have to play along. Um, I think it's just bad scripts uh, because they didn't edit the script properly. It doesn't make any sense that the conversation that happened between Lucius Fox and Bruce Wayne in an office is now being pirated between um, uh, Commissioner Gordon and Two-Face. The plot twist of Commissioner Gordon being alive. I think that's just part of the the old movie trope of if you show or explain the plan, then the plan is destined to fail. And if you mm. don't know about the plan, then you know the plan plan's going to work. And in this case, it's also it's kind of the same thing, right? You um, There is a plan in effect that the audience arguably was not aware of, um, but it worked out, right? It, it got the appropriate response and people into the, the slot they needed to be in for the mm -hmm. plot to work. But I think that you bring up one, another point that I was going to make um, initially, and it's that there's a lot of big plot holes in this film where we need to suspend our, suspend our disbelief a lot in this film. I'll give you one example. During the scene where Joker uh, crashes uh, Bruce Wayne's fundraiser, for Harvey Dent. He goes in, he shoots into the air, he grabs uh, Rachel and Batman comes in and they fight, uh, he fights uh, the goons and then he throws Rachel out the window and Batman flies after her. And all of a sudden, the next scene, we don't understand how he got away. How did the Joker escape that build? How did the Joker get out? So basically, it's almost like we're just going from set piece to set piece to set piece. Damn how the consequences of the set piece just enjoy the set piece and ignore the sense uh ignore the physics ignore the coherency just marvel or should i say just dc <laughs> in the scene enjoy the scene but don't think too hard about it because it doesn't make any sense 
but just enjoy it. That's that's basically how I felt watching the film. Um, I, I think the Joker show, showing up at the party, he creates chaos by throwing Rachel over the cliff, not over the cliff, proverbial cliff. Mm-hmm. But he saw that Harvey Dent is no longer there, and there's no point for him to create more chaos. He already achieved what he needed to achieve. So, but he, Harvey Dent was in there. He was locked but, up in a room. If Batman was flying down, uh, trying to chase Rachel, all he had to do was just search the whole building and find the door with an Im- a very big pipe blocking people from actually going in. I, th- I think that for somebody who is such a mastermind in crime, it would have been easier just to explain what happened after that. Another example was the guy who brought the gun to the courtroom as Harvey Dent, who eventually became uh, Two-Face, was going through the court case prosecuting the character. He reaches on his lap and whips out a gun. How did the gun get there? It doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think you can attribute the way I interpreted that uh, was that Harvey Dent was so sure that the gun was not loaded, really, that there, there could be an argument for it's a plan to just tell everybody he's like, you know, look at me, like, I, I'm not afraid of the mob, like, I can do this because that was the whole story that was tried to to explain that he's going to be the, the white knight. Of, of Gotham that's fighting against the, the mob and he's not afraid against the mob. There's a reasonable argument to be made that's uh, potentially something that was set up mm. to, to, to support but the narrative. Another plot that always doesn't, that still doesn't make sense to me is the idea that Batman doesn't kill. And I think this is one of the things that is quite weird because if you watch the movie, this guy is blowing up cars, banging garages, uh, banging trucks into the ceiling of bridges unaware of whether there are people up there or down there. Um, and then when it comes to the idea of killing the Joker, he just goes and drives his, his motorcycle into the falling, you know, rubble and falls off. I just feel like there's some inconsistency in how his principle is, is run throughout the film. And I feel like if this is your major principle one of the major themes is chaos versus order one of the goals that batman had throughout this film was to prove that he doesn't kill people it just feels wrong to see him deliberately actually kill people he killed avi dead too by jumping on him and uh throwing him down from the top of the building sacrificing him for the cause to save commissioner gordon's son so i i find it very weird that there's even some inconsistencies to the main principle that batman had i i feel like you're missing like one of the main plot points of this movie <laughs> with, with that statement because it's because the the whole point is to, to tell us a story about yin and yang right good versus evil but there's mm-hmm. there's a bit of evil in every good there's a bit of good in every evil and and it's kind of a symbiosis in that and the joker is very skilled in bringing the bad and in triggering Batman uh, in doing things that that are not part of his natural um, character and I think the that that's the point of the movie it's it's telling us there's a progression of of the Batman character there's a literal arc of like being the beloved anti-hero of Batman and then the the no longer beloved anti-hero like the the actual um, villain because he killed Harvey Dent the White Knight and I think the the whole point of this is that uh, at the end of the day, the Joker won and, and got what he wanted. And by using chaos and um, terrible things to manipulate Batman into doing the things he didn't want to do. So 
I'm going to concede a couple of things about this film. I think that the idea of chaos versus order was effectively done in this film. I also think that the character played by the Joker was immaculate. And Heath Ledger did an amazing job portraying the Joker in one of the most accurate comic book interpretations that we've had in the movies so far. But I, I think that if we remove Heath Ledger from the film, how strong do you think this movie really is? If you took out Heath Ledger and the Joker, I think you you would severely butcher the movie and, and you would have to do significant uh, edits to create a cohesive story. But uh, just kind of following that that train of thought, I think you can still create a an interesting narrative uh, of a, a White Knight versus Dark Knight clash where the Dark Knight, Batman, wants the White Knight to succeed. And uh, in order to step down from being, you know, the, the, the hero of the city, but then the, the white knight turns for whatever reason, I think there, there's a compelling story there as well, but I think the, by having the Joker in there, that just puts fuel to the fire and that amplifies it a lot more. I, I get what you're saying. Um, uh, I think that it's an effective argument against some of the points that I made, but I think that. Um, you have a situation where you have a less spectacular movie um, outside of the effectiveness of the Joker than if you had the Joker in. And I think it's an unfair argument in general for you to say, for me to uh, bring out uh, Heath Ledger, fair enough. But I do think that you have a movie about Batman uh, against the White Knight, the Dark Knight versus the White Knight. Um, and you have, you know, the Joker saying at the end of the movie, this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. That's the, the, net, the setup of the whole film. But I think that the strength of the film is only amplified because of the Joker. And when you remove that storyline, uh, the chaos from it, you find that the character of Batman is a plain a subordinate in the movie that he's the main character in. The character of Harvey Dent is an overdramatic character who plays fast and loose with the law in some cases. And as time goes on, I don't understand his switch from somebody who loves the law so much to somebody who is willing to break all the rules. Rachel is the cause, but it doesn't, it's not established why. I don't think I was ever convinced that their relationship was as strong as he portrayed it to be. And I also think that some of the things that they were trying to prove about corruption in the police department doesn't make sense. I'll give you one last example before I throw it back to you. Harvey Falcone, when Batman sees him and picks him up in the nightclub, where he's, uh, where he's beating up everybody and he takes him to the roof and he holds him down and he says, hey, um, this is, you don't know what you're doing. You know, I can't die if you drop me down from here. And Batman says, uh, I'm counting on that and lets him go. And he falls down and you hear his legs breaking, right? He goes crack. And all of a sudden, the guy is standing in the hotel, in the hospital, um, after having dent, his face is burnt. Standing with Commissioner Gordon saying, oh, man, I, I didn't anticipate all of this would happen. And I'm like, what happened to your leg? How is it that, you know, you are walking fine right now in your suit and everything after you got dropped from such a height? There's a lot of incoherence and there's a lot of conversations you can have about plot holes and magical thinking, laws of physics. 
And if you can establish that this is a different world that we live in, then that's fair. But one of the problems with the film is that it grounds itself in reality in our world. And it tries to make, um, make that work from that perspective. It doesn't make any sense. I think so. So one point you brought up is that uh, for for a Batman movie, Batman doesn't really have a lot to do here, right? That that's essentially one of your points. Yes, uh, I I think that goes for almost every Batman movie, though, because I think Batman as as a character is is kind of uninteresting, and the interesting parts of any Batman movie are the the villains because they're very colorful and very. Um, diverse as far as uh, putting <clears throat> putting um, this into the real world I think there's still a lot of stuff that is surreal in this like having Harvey Dent like walk around with half charred face I don't think that would ever work I don't think that would like that, that person would ever live like that I, I don't like he's not on pain medication like you know so there, there's a lot of like fantastical thing that still happens and I think it's while it is presenting as a real world and it's kind of this bizarre like Gotham or Chicago and um, like they go to Hong Kong and so so I agree that they're grounded in the real world I think there's a lot of stuff that is not presenting as real and it's a lot of the the villain stuff and I think that's that's just part of that superhero thing where it's kind of real but not and I think that's that's just part of the genre Placing it in in Gotham, in a in a real city, in a real looking city, feeling city, it makes the threat more real for the for the audience. I think that that's important. I think that you've kind of made the point I was trying to make. There's some there's some incoherence in the ideas that that they were trying to portray uh, for the film, and and I think that you know they're giving the bad characters some fantastical powers, and they're grounding Batman in reality. It kind of creates a clash that you have to um, wrap your head around. Um, and while, you know, Heath Ledger was a great Joker and basically carried this film, you can't deny that there's some fantastical elements to this film while they try to ground the film in reality. Oh, yeah. And I think that is, that, is where, that is where the incoherence, a lot of the incoherence raises its head. Um, and it sometimes takes you out of the film. Didn't take me out of the film. I thought it was, it, it worked well, uh, because it's for the genre. It's a lot more grounded than competing movies in the DC universe. I think uh, like this felt a lot more real with a few things that were kind of supernatural and, but, but I think it's, it's believable enough to support each character. So mainly Harvey Dent and Two-Face. I mean, uh, perhaps this would be a good opportunity for you to tell, um, argue about some of why this is a good film. I, I'm curious to know what you, what makes this movie a masterpiece of it. Maybe not a masterpiece, but a really good film for you. The main argument is acting and Heath Ledger in this movie. I think it's probably the definite masterclass in acting. Just watching this person play, like being fully immersed in this role. And uh, portraying this character in a way that is terrifying, but so believable and so nuanced and so thought out. It's incredible to see somebody playing a character that's so vile and chaotic 
in a way that it's not comical and it's it's not even super over the top i think it's i think it's super well refined in, in what he did and i think that's that's brilliance right there i think in comparison you have somebody like uh, commissioner gordon also played by by well renowned actor if you compare that performance of a police cop is serviceable it's fine but then you have a performance like like Heath Ledger's where it's just so deep and so tribal uh, I, I think that's one of the, the biggest arguments for this movie um, like I said another piece that makes this movie great is the locations the realness the scale of everything it's not a lot of CGI it's not a lot of green screen stuff like a lot of the stuff is real and a lot of the sets are real a lot of these sets have crazy scale because that's just something that christopher nolan likes to do and i think it it shows it's supporting the movie and, and grounding it in realness and i think that's that's a very strong point for this and then lastly i think the music is also a very strong point where it's very defining of the genre kind of classic hans Zimmer score i think and the motifs that are used are recognizable. And again, you have a moment of there's this high pitched, um, I think it's the string section, um, sound that, that occurs every time the Joker is, is doing some mischievous thing. And there's a turning point, I think after the interrogation scene, there's a turning point where uh, this tends to happen with Batman as well. And I think that's just tells us how the Joker achieves twisting Batman into, into his will and kind of bringing him over to the side. And I think that's genius and it's very subliminal, but it works. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why this movie is great. I think that, uh, you have, so you've made some really good points. And I think that some of the, uh, the points you made about, uh, the Joker being an agent of chaos and how at the end of the movie, Batman didn't actually win. The Joker won because he was playing uh, 7D chess. Uh, <laughs> and he basically was able to beat Batman at his own game. Um, he was successfully able to change Javi Dent from being the white knight to being the villain of the film. And it was due to manipulation. And it was played extremely well by uh, Heath Ledger. And you also have strong scenes, strong set pieces. Uh, but I, I still think that it brings me to my point. It's still incoherent. The movie had the potential to be better than the sum of its parts because the, the parts of the film are good. All those places that I mentioned, I, I totally acknowledge that they're great. Um, but when you bring it all together to be the package that is the Dark Knight, it's, you see the cracks everywhere. You see the cracks in the scene where they are fighting, they are going through the tunnels, um, and they were, while they were trying to get Harvey Dent to, you know, county jail to book him as Batman after he declared he was Batman, you see very, a lot of bad visual coherency watching the character, walking the cars in the chase scene. One example of this, and I think that, I don't know if it's a, 
it's a nitpick, but I, I do feel like it's important to have. Was the scene where Batman speeds up to blow to stop um, Joker from using his grenade to blow up the truck? He speeds up and flies in the air. The scene you had before it, you see the truck uh, in front of Joker um, about to blow up, and then Batman speeds up, jumps in the air over the car in front of him, blocks the green air, blocks the rocket launcher from hitting the car. But then you notice that in the scene where Batman is in the air and the rocket launcher hits the Batman, uh, the VAD vehicle, the bus is not even in the scene. It goes like that. But if you stop and you think about it, it's, it's visually incoherent. The bus was right there. Joker shot the, uh, the grenade launcher to hit it. The Batmobile speeds up, jump, takes, a, takes flight, blocks the grenade launcher from hitting the car. But the car doesn't exist in that scene anymore. The next time we see it, the, the vehicle is speeding two cars ahead. And when you think about those uh, visual cues, it doesn't make any sense. How did the car speed up? Could the car have sped up um, all this time? Could it have avoided this whole situation by just going out? But then you have the conversations uh, in the vehicle where the guy's like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And I'm like, these lines are totally cliche. They take you out of the film and all of that. But then the set piece is great. The action is great. The ideas are great. Oh, and the music is great. For, the, for me, the, the value of the film was in the set pieces and not in the dialogue or conversation. The, the director wrote the film first with the set pieces and then he filled in all the conversations later with cliched lines that people just say. That's my take. I mean, I think you you pointed out a lot of things that were great about that particular scene. And I think that that speaks for itself, right? Where you have uh, scenes, like the set piece is great. The action is great. The music is great. Sure, dialogue could, could probably be refined here and there. I, I feel like you pointed something out that you would only see if you really as stopped during that particular scene of, of like, Hey, there's something missing there. Um, so it's not blatantly obvious. I don't think so. I feel it's very nitpicky. Uh, and, and as you pointed out uh, that still with nitpicking the scene, it still had a lot going for it. And a lot of the foundation for the, for the scene and for the movie that I pointed out are great. I think one of the arguments for this podcast is, trying to determine whether the movie deserves to be in the current position where it's at. Absolutely, it does. You think that, <laughs> you think that this is the fourth best movie of all time? I, I don't know if this movie got in because of the effects of Heath Ledger uh, on the film. And I think the, the marketing of this film was incredible. But do you really think that it deserves to be in the position it's in with all the incoherency that we've seen throughout? It's a prime example of the modern action movie and the modern superhero action movie and it combines a lot of the the things that i've mentioned before into a two and a half hour movie that's uh, filled with action with horror with uh, big set pieces very flashy very uh, different but iconic music fantastic cast and I think it combines everything and it, it, it creates a great bundle. And like I said, a masterclass on acting with Heath Ledger. And I think it, it combines everything 
into a bundle of a movie that's totally worthy to be on this list. If we just look at Godfather 2 in comparison to this, I think this movie even deserves to be a number three, not a number four on this list. Wow, that is a that is a bold claim. A bold, bold claim. Um, I disagree with you. Uh, I think this movie needs to go down a bit. I think the thing that annoys me the most about this list as we go down is Casablanca is at number 43. Um, and it's one of my best movies of all time. I, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think that I've made the points that I need to make. Yep. And I'm hoping that uh, the, the judge, ladies and gentlemen, you get to see it from my perspective. Um, and hopefully uh, you make me the winner of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll you'll just you know come to to the reasonable side and see this movie as uh, for what it is a great great movie all right uh, well do you just want to have a normal conversation about uh, the dark knight Absolutely. and uh, your expectations your honor i'd like to ask for a recess i think that there is a lot to be said about the themes of chaos and the themes of order and i i think that you know Heath Ledger was the driving force in this film. Yep. If they had a poster of him at the top and he says, The Dark Knight, I would probably have said, you know, this movie should be described as that. But I did, I did enjoy the themes of order and chaos because he, you can see how Batman changes from, you know, he had a simplistic view of how criminals think. Yep. And even, you know, Alfred was trying to tell him that he had a, a situation like this when he was a soldier um where he had a a drug lord who kind of burnt the forest down irrespective of whether he won or lost and i think that the idea the mental idea of the joker is very very compelling where you have a character who is seemingly fighting for nothing just for the idea of chaos yep. against somebody who tries to bring chaos and i think that that is the significant strength of this film and I think that's the only reason why you give it props, because like I said, the ideas are, are huge. I just think that the, the execution could have been better. You probably noticed that I never really went into editing because I very agree with you that the editing is <laughs> all over the place in this thing. I didn't notice it like the first few times I watched it, but then rewatching it this week and just kind of have a look, like a closer look at like more of the technicalities of things. So I watched this on HBO max it was pg-13 and in the beginning of the movie i thought is this a like cut version like it's the movie usually rated r because it felt so clunky and it felt like yeah. they, they edited something out and uh, i i guess it's not so i i agree with you that there's a lot of bizarre cuts and edits and and a lot of things that go nowhere and you know always forgotten the the, the party scene with harvey dent the word like I, I think that's a good example of that where it's just like it doesn't go anywhere really it's just yeah. it's just another like example of the Joker doing chaos and having character exposition, and I think the plot is a little convoluted as well. Like I think the whole mafia thing is a little eh. like you know going to Hong Kong to to kidnap that one dude. I, I just felt like Christopher Nolan wanted to go to Hong Kong for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I agree. And so so I think there's a lot of flaws in that regard, and I agree with you on that. I do think the the strength is Heath Ledger in this and the, the commitment he put into the role. And uh, it's, it's very unfortunate that we are not able to see more of his talent. And, and I do, I agree. And I do think 
him passing after the movie did put this movie on a specific pedestal, which is probably one of the reasons why it's so beloved and now so high on the list. I think my my points of the film were, were totally valid. I I mean, this is basically how I really feel about the film. As somebody who watches a lot of superhero films, I watch a lot of Batman films, and there are lots of Batman films that are a lot more visually coherent than this one. The editing is really bad. I don't know if you're aware of the older Batman films, the one from 1987 yeah. and 1989. Um, those ones told a better visual story, but the set pieces were not very strong. But this one, the set pieces are incredible. I mean, we see people sliding down from buildings, planes catching balloons. The stunts were incredible. The, the truck that flipped, the bank scene, the bank heist, and the introduction of the Joker, and then him driving the bus out. All of those stunts were incredible to watch. Yep. And I think that when you think about it, I just think that Christopher Nolan thought about the stunts first, and then he said, all right, let's make a story around this. Um, Heath Ledger's acting was incredible. The, the scene where he walked out of the hospital and while it was blowing, everything was blowing up and he was pushing the button and he turned around and goes, well, ooh, I, I guess it's not blowing up. And then it blew up and it just walks off screen. I heard that that was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it was unscripted. His reactions were unscripted. And it just shows you the depth of his, the, of his character work that he could play that off so naturally. And at no point did you feel like he wasn't playing the Joker. He was so powerful throughout the film. Yeah. And I think that the movie benefited from him. Right. So much. Right. I think even in the, in the, in the opening sequence of, of him robbing a bank, it's, it was fascinating to me to see all these different goons all masked with different clown masks. And you have Heath Ledger, this whole posture is, is different. And and you can tell this is a different kind of character. This this is someone somebody else, and I felt that was super powerful. And that just kind of goes uh, like deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think that's great. But but I also think there's a lot of suspension of disbelief that you need to bring into this, because there's a lot of stuff that the Joker does that requires a lot of work, and a lot of upfront planning, and a lot of chips to fall in the right way to make that happen. How how would you even work out the logistics of that, right? Like, how, how would you even work out the logistics of two boats leaving at the same time, one boat with, with inmates and one boat with civilians? And then, like, how, how, how would you do that? Like, how does that even work, right? Uh, and how, how the hell did they get, like, tons and tons of bombs on the boat yeah. without anybody noticing? Right. So, so there's a lot of that where it's just, like, how, like... There's a lot of suspension of disbelief in that and, and just kind of, you know, the Joker being so so smart and knowing the system of everything. So in, in so much detail that he's able to foresee all the things that need to happen. Same with the bank heist in the beginning where he just happens to, everything is timed so perfectly that he can just pull the bus into a line of other buses and that just seems to work out like perfectly. Yeah. And that's fascinating by that, you know, if you, if you just kind of disregard all that and then don't think about it that much i think uh, it's still a successful movie i think but you see that's the that's the main point i was trying to make you know christopher nolan talked a lot about how this batman was grounded in reality if you wanted to make it a film about reality it's very hard to just disregard all the coincidences that seem to just work in the favor of the joker or anything how the hell did he get rachel 
Did they talk about that? I just know that he got Rachel. It happened off screen. It was one of the, you know the cops, got... I think. That's that's why that was the whole point of like who who and the police is corrupt because they, they transported Rachel off. Yeah, but so we saw them transporting Harvey, but I don't remember the scene where they transported Rachel. We just know that they got Rachel. Uh, and Batman found out at the same time that we found out when the Joker, when he was interrogating Joker, and he was like, and you just want to save them? And I was like, them? Oh, oh, we've got her too. Uh, but I will say that that scene was great because he said, the Joker said, um, the way you jumped after her when I threw her out of the glass, I almost even believed that you were Harvey Dent. Does he know that you and her have something going on? And I was like, holy sh! this guy, he understands things. I thought it was really good. I thought the dialogues were great. Not throughout the film, but some of the scenes with Heath Ledger, the dialogue was captivating and Heath Ledger just draws you in. He draws you in every single yep. time. And I think that it's, it's a... It's poor on the fact that Christian Bale, who was the title character for this film, kind of played second fiddle to a lot of the villains in the film. I, I didn't think that Batman, the character of Batman, shown enough in a movie that was titled The Batman or The Dark Knight. That movie should be titled The Joker Comes to Town because the movie is mostly about, you know, the evolution of the Joker throughout the film. Batman is kind of uninteresting. To begin with, I think his only character trait is he's filthy rich, and, and to the point <laughs> where, where they even you know make a joke out of that. And is it Justice League? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they they even have a funny line about that. And it's mm-hmm. it's that's literally the only thing that this character has going for him. It's effective. Like he can throw like money at anything. Like he can create a like hundred times worse Facebook and like track people even worse <laughs> yeah as a person i don't think batman is that interesting like i think the strength of the whole batman universe is is the villains because they're very yeah. very bizarre but interesting because they're so bizarre i think it's interesting if you just go back to the history of batman and the different uh, portrayals of the joker and kind of the different interpretations of the character i think that's it, it gives a lot as well um you know you have you have some very campy uh, kooky versions and then you know you have arguably the, the best uh, performance with this one and then you also have arguably the worst with uh, jared leto <laughs> and <laughs> you know uh, and and so, so yeah it's very diverse and i think batman always was kind of second fiddle in the batman movies in my opinion when you consider especially the first Batman movie where Jack Nicholson played the Joker, uh, you would have a point. I think that the, the Joker is inherently more interesting than Batman and any movie that the Joker is in overshadows Batman. But the problem I also have with Christian Bale is that the first Batman film was the only movie where Batman was significantly better than the, what do you call it, his is uh, the villains every other movie even the third one which i think is way worse uh but in that movie bill was even more uh was another character that overshadowed batman throughout the film uh i just feel like batman suffered a lot uh in the second and third films but you know which is not something you would say about uh, batman returns uh which is another movie that i really love um and i think that in that movie 
Batman Returns told was a more coherent film. The villains were were interesting enough, but Batman was a very interesting character in film. And there was a lot of callbacks to you know to that, and even in the Dark Knight, where the guy was making the suit and he was like, "Do you think this is the '90s? I would like to be able to move my neck left and right." I thought that was a good, a funny throwback. So yeah. That's all I have. Yeah, that's all I have for this one, too. Where can people find us? They can find us on uh, Movie Mistrial, on on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And they can uh, decide on there uh, who presented the better argument. Definitely. We also have a website, uh, moviemistrial.com. And you can send us an email at contact at moviemistrial.com. And next time, we're going to talk about the 57 version of 12 Angry Men. I'm looking forward to that discussion, too. Likewise. All right, have a good one. All right, man.